I don't know if you know my wife or not. Uh, some of you know uh, Carol, but uh, Carol has a superpower. It's not one that would save the world in case some supervillain ever comes to attack Pekin. Uh, none of us are going to be saved by Carol's superpower, but uh, her superpower is that Carol can sleep through absolutely anything. <laughs> when Isaiah was born, uh, Carol worked third shift at Methodist. She was a nurse in the cardiovascular intensive care unit there, and she put in a lot of long and hard and stressful hours and nights taking care of those very sick patients there. And one would expect that if Carol was used to staying up all night, then uh, on her days off, that uh, she would be able to stay up at night and to take care of the kids when they would get up in the middle of the night. But not Carol. Her superpower would kick in, and she would be able to sleep through absolutely anything. Um, so, and that included Isaiah screaming his head off in the middle of the night. And so it would be like, hey, babe, babe, Isaiah's up. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, hey, babe, Isaiah's up again, and absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing from her. Um, I wonder if the writers of some of our most favorite Christmas carols, like Silent Night and Away in the Manger, I think those writers had the same gift as Carol, as they could sleep through anything. To them, the birth of Jesus was a silent night, but it probably wasn't much of a silent night. To Carol, exhausted from work, uh, the little baby Isaiah, no crying he makes. <laughs> but he did. Um, I suspect if we would allow some new parents to write these modern day, uh, modern day Christmas carol, we wouldn't be singing too much about silent nights or babies that never cry. Because we know as parents that that doesn't happen. That's not even, uh, not even possible. It's not even in existence. It's interesting that on this week for the scripture for this week is actually a song, though, that, is, that was sung by the mother of Jesus. And it, as any expectant parents, um, Mary, uh, as, and as expected by parents, Mary makes no references to that night being silent, nor is this a sweet little lullaby about her newborn son, Jesus, or her expectant son, Jesus. Mary's song is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's a very powerful, it's a subversive song that goes against the status quo of the day. It goes completely against the expected chain of events and what people were expecting. And her song speaks about the mighty power of God that is breaking into the world. And it's going to come in a very unexpected way. Her song speaks of strong arms, of a promise, of the powerful being thrown down of the meek and the humble being raised up. It's a song about love, but not in that soft Christmas carol kind of way. Her song conveys the strong and the steadfast way that the love of God has been and will be expressed in our world. It's a very real song from a mom, an expectant mom. And it speaks about her love and her gratitude for God. We sing songs today about 
whether or not Mary knew what was going to happen, right? What God was asking her to do. Did Mary know? Yes, I think Mary did know. So I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to camp out today in Luke chapter 1. What we're going to find here in Luke is that Mary had a very prophetic understanding of what God was asking her. Uh, She understood the mission of God in a way that people in her time didn't seem to grasp. Did Mary know? She might not have known all of the details, but Mary certainly understood, and she understood a whole lot better than people around her should have understood, like the priest Zechariah, that God is going to be coming into the world, and he is going to be moving in a brand new way. That God is coming to bring this new kingdom. That God is going to destroy the status quo. But before we get to Mary, we're going to revisit. We spent uh, the last few weeks talking about John the Baptist. And we're going to revisit him a little bit. Not John himself, but we're going to visit his parents. John's dad was Zechariah. He was a Jewish priest that worked in the temple at Jerusalem. And Zechariah was married to Elizabeth, and for lack of better words, they were, they were getting up there in years, right? Uh, they haven't had kids, and it was the job of Zechariah at the time, this day, to go into the temple and to maintain the altar of incense. Now, they would light this incense, uh, and it would continually burn inside the temple to represent the prayers of God's people that ascended up to God. And so Zechariah is the very first person that we meet in Luke's gospel. The second is the angel Gabriel. And the angel comes up to Zechariah inside the temple and appears before him. And understandably, Zechariah is a little startled when this angel shows up. And Gabriel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John, and he will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice of his birth. So here we have Zechariah, and he's inside the temple, and he's all alone. And all of a sudden, this angel appears to him. And the angel says, I know you and Elizabeth are getting up in years. You know, I see the gray hair there, and I just, I just want to tell you that you and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. Hmm. Needless to say, Zachariah was probably a little freaked out at this moment, and he questions the angel by saying, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old, old man, and my wife is well along in years. See, we don't know exactly how old Zachariah and Elizabeth were, um, but he said they were getting up in years. They were advanced in years, which is just a really nice way to say, are you sure? Because my wife is really old, right? (laughs) Tradition would tell us that when somebody used that phrase that they're probably about 60 to 70 years old. Now, I'm not going to ask our crowd here today. I'm not going to survey you. And ask how many 60-plus-year-old ladies in here would like to have a brand-new baby this Christmas. 
the number of guys that are 70 years old that want to start a brand new family is probably just as equally as low, right? So something strange happens at this point in this story. And so I want you to listen to what the angel says to Zechariah. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you of this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So if you're taking notes, this is number one, Zachariah is silenced, but Mary sings. The first chapter of Luke is focused on the voices of women, not on the voices of men. And Zechariah is immediately silenced upon his unbelief that Elizabeth is going to be pregnant. And yet later, it's Mary that is visited by the angel saying to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is even more of a shock because Mary is the exact opposite of Zechariah and Elizabeth. She wasn't too old. She was, in fact, very young. And Mary asked for clarification as well. And she says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. It seems on the surface that both Zechariah and Mary are both questioning the announcements of the angel that day. Yet we go on to see that Mary believes. And we go on to see that actually she believes very powerfully in what God is telling her. And even though she questions just like Zechariah did, Mary is not the one that is silenced. In fact, she sings. And so I want you to listen to her song it's located in that first chapter of Luke. It starts at verse 46. This is Mary's song. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty, mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestor. So I had the question this morning, why was it that Zechariah was silenced, but Mary sings? See, Zechariah at the time was a religious leader. He was one of the priests that was allowed to go into the temple and if anybody were going to believe God, if there was anybody that would be the person to proclaim and speak prophetic words about God, surely it would be him. Surely it would be one of our priests. Surely it would be this religious man. But it was actually his wife. 
It was Elizabeth was the one who spoke prophetic words over Mary. She is the one that declares that the child in Mary's womb is in fact the Lord. Mary is about as far away from Zechariah as you can get. Mary is just this humble peasant girl, and yet she believes in the power of God for this miraculous pregnancy. And she declares the power of God in this song. See, this Advent series has been all about how God is turning things over, how this new kingdom is so much different than what people were expecting, and how God is going away from the status quo of the day. And this new kingdom is different, and the cultural norms are being transformed. Remember, during this time, society was a very patriarchal society, which just meant that men ruled everything. In fact, women were not allowed to own property. Women were not allowed to testify in court. So the fact that Luke puts the prophetic words of these two women at the very front, at the very start of his gospel, reveals that something very different is happening here in the world. The culture is going to be upended by this, uh, by this coming Messiah in ways that nobody has expected so far. And it's also significant to note that Mary's song precedes Zacharias. It's only after Zechariah's son John was born that we finally get to hear from Zechariah when he praises God. It would have been expected for the kingdom of God to be ushered in by the powerful and the prestigious, but the Messiah is not coming through any of those channels. The Messiah of the world is coming through this humble peasant girl from this no-name town. And so number two, Mary's song is not your normal love song. I was thinking about using this opportunity to sing you some famous love song this morning, but then the Holy Spirit reminded me that nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) But when we talk about love songs, we usually talk about some sort of sappy or sentimental uh, song that would probably fit really nicely inside of a Hallmark card, you know, those nice words. When Carol and I first started dating, the, one of the most popular love songs of the day was this. See if you recognize these words. I'll be your dream. I'll be your wish. I'll be your fantasy. I'll be your hope. I'll be your love. Be everything that you need. I'll love you more with every breath. Truly, madly, deeply do. I will be strong, I will be faithful because I'm counting on a new beginning, a reason for living, a deeper meaning. Anybody recognize that song? Some of you nodding your heads, others are absolutely clueless. That's okay. It's all right. Mary's song wasn't this sappy love song at all. It wasn't syrupy at all. Her song was all about the power of God. And so she sees... God as being faithful. She sees God as being ever present. And she sees God as, uh, or she gives God as, gives God thanks for being present, not just with her, but she gives him thanks for being present with the world. And she speaks to the generations who honored God before and declares the miracles and all the things that God has done in the past. And she glorifies God's character. And she sings about his mercy towards humanity. 
She sings about the strength. She sings about the power of God. And she sings about his mighty arm. This song, though, doesn't come out of nothing. Only a person of, some, of a very deep faith would come up with these words. Only a person of deep faith would sing such a song. This song reflects the faith of the one that God chose to be the mother of Christ. Her devotion is already shown towards God and in her life prior to the angel ever visiting her that day. I guess I never paid too much attention to where Mary got the lyrics from her song. But Mary's song is full of references to the Old Testament. Where she would have heard uh, as she was growing up. And she would have heard maybe these uh, words in her home. And her song echoes Hannah from Samuel chapter 1. She even used some of the language that Hannah used when Hannah was praying deeply and longingly for a son. She quotes Psalms in her song, Psalm 34 and 35, 111, 89, 107, Psalm 98. She mentions some of the minor prophets. She mentions Job and Micah, and she even references the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. There's a list in your notes there if you want to go and look up some of her references. But God didn't just pick some random peasant girl from some farm to carry his child. He picked a girl that would welcome such an announcement. He picked a girl that knew him already. He picked a girl who knew of his promises and knew of his provisions in her life. But what I love most about this song that Mary sang that day, the fact that God picks Mary to be the mother of his son, it's not just all these references to the Old Testament, but it shows that Mary was dedicated to Scripture. This song paints a picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as an actual prophet. See, the last prophet to speak for God was Micah. It was uh, about 400 years prior to Mary. For 400 years, God had been silent. For 400 years now, nobody had heard anything from God. Nobody had received any sort of direction from the Lord. Well, Zechariah did, but God shut his mouth. The first prophet that is going to speak on behalf of God after 400 years of silence is Mary, a peasant girl. Mary speaks and is reminding the world that God is faithful, that he has worked miracles in the past, and she is declaring and she is revealing what God is doing now, and she's telling the world, hey, this is what God is going to do as well. And the world expected that the revelation of God about this upcoming Messiah was going to come through avenues of power and prestige and privilege but God, being God, reveals his plan through this humble, yet very dedicated young woman. Number three, if you're taking notes, is that Mary's song was powerful, but it was also rebellious. It was rebellious because of her. It was rebellious because of the messenger. Mary was a humble peasant with nothing to her name. 
Her song wasn't rebellious against God, but her song was rebellious against the status quo and what people had come to expect. This song is significant because the people assumed that the power that this Messiah that was going to be coming was coming from a particular place. But this wasn't God's plan for the world. It's not how it happened. See, at the time, the power center of of the world, the power center of this area was Rome. It was the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people were waiting for this Messiah uh, to get rid of this hated and oppressive Roman government. They wanted their land back. They wanted the land that God had promised them so many years ago. They thought their time was coming. Any day now, the Messiah will come and rescue us from these Romans. And they thought that the Messiah would come to overthrow this type of power and that he would use the same tactics that Rome and all the other powers had used in the past. The leader of the Roman government, Caesar, even declared himself God. But Mary's song, however, reveals that the Messiah was not going to come through power, that the Messiah was not going to come through war or money, but the Messiah was going to come through humility, through an ordinary person. Just the fact that Mary was the one that's declaring this message of God meant that the kingdom of God is not going to be for the wealthy and the powerful. But the kingdom of God is for those that were oppressed and forgotten and broken. This was an era of oppressed and downtrodden people. The Jewish people of the day had to pay taxes to both Caesar, the Roman government, and to king, their king, King Herod. The Jews had to live under the thumb of these Roman or these foreign governments for, and power for centuries now. The Jewish people were desperate for someone to take over. And Mary's song declares that the kingdom of God, though, is going to be a kingdom of justice. Those who had power were going to be torn from their seats of power, verse 52. They would lose their influence, lose their power to control people and inflict war and cruelty and tax people. Those with wealth would be sent away, verse 53. For those with means that were able to control everything with their wealth, they were able to step on the backs of anybody that was uh, less fortunate than them. And these people, Mary says, are going to lose their abilities to hoard and acquire wealth. The people of God would remember, the people that God would remember would be the faithful, verse 50. The faithful would be shown mercy. Remember, Rome is just the the latest foreign power to control this area of the world. Before the Romans, it was the Greeks and Alexander the Great. It would have been easy for for the Jewish people of the day just to bow down to the most powerful reign of the day. The easy route for them would have been just to bow down to Caesar, to the government, It would have been much harder in a culture that was trying to dilute their faith to live than live in a faithful way towards God. 
But God is saying to Mary that those that remain faithful, they're the ones he's going to show mercy to. The Jewish people had waited for a long time to hear from God. They have been oppressed. They are desperate. There are people that are probably wondering if God is ever going to pay attention to them again. Is God ever going to hear my plight? Is he ever going to listen to my plea? And it would have been so easy for the Jewish people to feel abandoned in these 400 years of silence from God. Mary was reminding them that God had not forgotten them at all. In fact, he is showing them mercy to those that are still hanging on, to those that are still faithful after all of these years. And Mary is reminding her people that God had not abandoned them. In fact, God is starting to break through. God is doing a new thing in a new way. And the message is the same for us today. I know many of you who have faithfully prayed, never abandoning your faith, that God will answer your prayer. In your uh, communication card, there's a place for you to put down prayer requests. And I want you to know that our staff, week after week, have the opportunity to join you in prayer for those uh, requests that you write on those cards. And week after week, some of you list the same people that you have been praying for their salvation for years. Don't give up. Let Mary's prayer remind you not to give up on them. Be steadfast in those prayers, patient in your prayers. God rewards the faithful. God continues this day to be faithful to his people. And God is going to bring about the day of the Lord in unexpected ways. So maybe you're thinking, how in the world does any of this tie in to our theme for this fourth week of Advent, which is love? So let me ask you this question. How many of you know who this guy is? Not me. Is that there, guys? Not yet. Yep. I mean, you know who that is. A lot of you probably do. All the parents, all the grandparents have probably seen this guy a thousand times. I guarantee you that the kids that are ready to come in here in just in a moment know exactly who this is. This is Kristoff, right? From Frozen 2. Kristoff declares to Anna in the movie Frozen 2 that his love is not fragile. All right? It makes for a nice plot line. It's probably the reason why this guy, Kristoff, has been voted the best of the Disney princess, princes, not princesses, princes. <laughs> Anna has come to him and she's apologizing for something that she has done. And Kristoff responds by saying, my love is not fragile. That's love. Our love is not supposed to be fragile. It's an idea that we often miss when we think or we talk or we sing about love. So it might feel odd to hear that this very strong and very powerful song by Mary on the week of Advent when we talk about love. But it's fitting because God's love for us is not fragile either. 
God's love is not something that is easily broken. It's something that came in a powerful yet very unexpected way. God's love didn't enter into the world through the typical avenues of prayer, or I mean of power or prestige. His news came through a simple peasant girl with absolutely no claim to her name. And this story of this inbreaking of, of God's kingdom is truly the greatest love story that's ever been told. About God literally leaving the glory of heaven to take on humanity. And this is a story of strength. It's a story of beauty. And it's displayed in unexpected ways. God's story to us is a story of love that sacrifices itself instead of wounding others. It's a story of mercy instead of judgment. It's a story of humility and humanity. It's a story, an example of what love should be, strong and powerful. It's a love story in the truest sense of the word, a story that continues to us today. And as we reveal the love of God in and, and the ways that we live in this world and continue to see the kingdom of God break through this world, our present day world, in unexpected ways, he's going to do it through us. In just a moment, our kids are going to fill this stage and tell us about this love story of God. And it will be cute but it will also be powerful. Let God remind us that his love for these kids that are going to come on this stage is powerful and strong. Let God remind us, even as adults, that when we miss up and when we should know better, that God's love is not fragile. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you on this fourth Sunday of Advent where we get to come and to learn about your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you would humble yourself to leave the glory of heaven and take on humanity. We thank you, Lord, for your love for everyone in this, this room for all of our kids waiting to come on stage, for all of those that are watching online uh, this morning, for this entire world. For you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son that whoever would believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, for your love, a powerful love, a love that is not fragile and is not easily broken. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray today. Amen.